This is Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, on the air. Tuning you into the Latino literary renaissance in all its splendor. Interviews, teatro, rap, fiction, poetry, memorias, composer spotlights, and more. Always mas. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another multi-platform broadcast of Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. And today we will be talking to Dr. Naz Momin, who's joining me. So I want to say hi first. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us, Dr. Momin. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate this a lot. And we'll be focusing on your book, Listening to Laredo, a border city in a globalized age, which revolves around 75 in-depth interviews that give a really fascinating perspective to this border city, but not just that, but the border experience. I think what it means to be Texan, Latino, and human, and so much more. So thank you so much for writing this book, and I can't wait to talk about it. Of course, I want to let folks know that you might be joining us in one of our many different facets. So perhaps you're watching the video version of this that appears on different sources. You could be watching it on fox26houston.com. You could be watching it on the Nuestra Palabra Facebook page. You could be watching it on YouTube. Or you might be listening to this broadcast on one of our original platforms, 90.1 FM, KPFT Houston's community station, which means we're broadcasting at 100,000 watts in the fourth largest city in America, in the same state as Laredo. And we can only do this, though, because of the fact that we've got support from our listeners. So we want to thank all of our listeners who in the past have supported the show. And for anyone who can make a pledge, we ask you to help us keep this amazing experiment and freedom of speech going. You can donate to KPFT by visiting kpft.org or calling 713-526-5738 and make a donation in the name of Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, so we can do our part to make sure the entire station can continue. But let's make it clear, only because we are publicly sponsored, only because of your support, can we put together shows like this that complicate every single argument you're going to hear on corporate media, independent media, and at most kitchen tables. But it takes a lot of effort, and you're a part of that. So thank you for all that support. And of course, I want to let you know, too, that you can also listen to this as a podcast. And finally, we're going to come to you in person. You can find out where we are having events by visiting nuestrapalabra.org. My name is Tony Diaz, a libro traficante, author of The Tip of the Pyramid, Cultivating Community Cultural Capital. Today, we're going to focus on Dr. Momin's book. I want to let you know that she is a professor in the Department of Social Sciences at Texas A&M International University, and she's the author of The Paradox of Citizenship in American Politics and Political Satire, Postmodern Reality, and the Trump Presidency. But of course, as I mentioned, Today, we're talking about her book, Listening to Laredo, A Border City in a Globalized Age, Place, Identity, 
in the changing conditions of an American border city. I keep wanting to say Laredo when I say the title, but I think that's part of the magic of your book in that you switch back from so many different modalities. Um, you've been kind enough to offer to read an excerpt to us, but first, can you tell us a little about what, what attracted you to writing about uh, Laredo? Let me tell you the backstory. So I got a job at Texas A&M International University back in 2002. And I came from Cleveland State University, which is very uh, like, which is one of the uh, top places for urban studies. And I came to Laredo and it was a fascinating city and it didn't fit uh, with any of the framework that I have learned in my urban studies uh, courses. So I was always like fascinated because a lot of the things I couldn't explain. So this was always I thought about writing and I wrote a few articles on Laredo. And then I was working on other things. I wrote my book on citizenship, political satire. And then like about four or five years back, I came back and I started, I finally started writing this. My original intention was something very different. I wanted to contrast the urban theory with what is actually happening in Laredo. And I thought, okay, what can, how can I like bridge that gap? So I started talking to people, but as soon as I started interviewing people, then I thought instead of focusing on the theory, what I should focus is on what the people say, because they have experienced this transition. So, so what if the theory cannot explain it, right? So I should get the explanation from the people who actually live here. And one of the very very problematic thing about border studies is border is always defined from outside. Mm. The people who live in the border, they never get to define, their voices are never heard, right? So that's why this the book is totally based on primary data uh, over uh, almost three years or two and a half years. I, you know, talked to people, I collected, um, I did 75 interviews. And at first there was like a lot of data, but once I started uh, transcribing and analyzing, uh, there were a number of themes that came out. And it was very interesting because they organically, they kind of matched as if people knew parts of the stories and, I was the listener and I could actually like look at at different aspects. So my job, the way I looked at it was to weave these different parts and make a meaningful story, make a holistic story. Because right now Laredo is on the limelight, but the attention it is getting is actually very myopic. It's all about crime, right? And that's how the border is defined or the border is, uh, you know, even if you think about positive spotlight, often it's all about trade and growth. Mm -hmm. But Laredo offers much more than these two lenses. So my role was to kind of, you know, look at the whole story. And there is a lot of contradiction, the contradiction between how the local people look at the change or transition in Laredo, what has been good for them and what hasn't been this good. And the national narrative or you know, kind of the transition of uh, Laredo becoming the largest inland port, right? I mean, we look mm -hmm. at it uh, often, we look at it in terms of growth as something very positive, but not all growth are positive. I mean, it's a more complicated story. For instance, Laredo was actually in the, if you go back in the 1960s, 70s, it was actually a very prosperous downtown. And most of the prosperity came from local entrepreneurs. 
And after NAFTA, Laredo, there has been a lot of economic growth, but this economic growth is of a different, you know, like a flavor. This economic growth, you know, a lot of money passes through the international bridges, but they are not retained in Laredo. Okay, actually, Laredo's local entrepreneurs, they actually couldn't survive the competition after Laredo became you know, the in, inland port, okay? So the local narrative and the national narrative are at odds and sometimes just contradictory. That sounds powerful because I think, especially for our listeners, mm-hmm. they're used to understanding that, for example, corporate media, corporate mm-hmm. politics convey Laredo, the border, in a certain way that we feel doesn't quite hit home. But what mm-hmm. I love that you're also adding to the picture is that even with the theories uh, in terms of that particular research, too, it, is, it doesn't quite capture the scene on the ground. And I love that you cut through it by getting to the people, because for us, that's the same thing that we're doing with literature. If corporate publishers don't create the voices, we want to get right to them. In literature, border is often projected as a place of chaos, right? I mean, there are mm-hmm. so, right? I mean, the third space, the place that cannot be defined, the place where you cannot be someone because you are always mm-hmm. being tugged right at different directions but the people i interviewed they actually present a completely different picture this was a beautiful this is a you know historic city and this was a very cohesive community right i mean this is 95% hispanic but this also has very strong history of intermarriages okay mm-hmm. so uh, they, people, even people who grew up in poverty, because if you go back, most of my uh, interviews who I, uh, you know, talk to, uh, they remember their childhood as it was a very, you know, poor community, but they actually have very uh, wholesome memory of a community life, right? So it was actually never, you know, the border that is presented in literature or in politics as a place of chaos. They have the opposite, you know, view of that. It was a, you know, very wholesome community to grow up and, you know, uh, the community bonds were really strong. Con 
controlando el monte, Gerardo bien pilas está. Mientras el gallo me levanta, también le de entrar. De Laredo hasta San Antonio, nervios no hay mi pa. A la orden mi padrino Poncho, gracias por confiar. En un SRT si me dan ganas de quemar. Un Carillac pa' andar a gusto con un blanco fumar. Persecuciones me ha aventado y no miré pa' atrás. Poco a poco los fui perdiendo y de nuevo a jalar. Moviéndola en el 956 pa' todos hay. No hay falla, aquí te los pegamos, cincho el viaje va. La verdad no diré mi nombre, mi apodo no más. El meme de Laredo, Texas, más claro no está. Sigue la línea con más. Bajo la sombra, pero un rato y ya. Si me engancharon, voy a triplicar en las piezas y pa' los traidores los voy a cazar. La luna ya se metió. Salen los carros sobre la labor. Para cruzar, bien estudiado estoy. Me me la seguirá rifando primero mi been kind enough to offer to read an excerpt so i want to let our listeners know that you're experiencing nuestra palabra latino writers having their say I want to remind folks that we are always happy to take your donations for the help uh, the help of the station so you can call 713-526-5738 or go to kpft.org and make a donation in the name of nuestra palabra latino writers having their say to kpft your community station. And we are talking about community. Right now, we're about to have a reading from the excerpt of a new book by Dr. Manez Momin. And the book is titled, Listening to Laredo, A Border City in a Globalized Age. The microphone is yours. Thank you, Tony. So I'm going to read um, a little bit from my chapter two, which is titled, Where is the Border? The River, the Wall, the Checkpoints, the Prison, the Colonials. The recent undertones of the river pose a stark contrast to memories honored by residents. Felipe Calderon remembers that in the 1960s, his grandfather used to get water from the river in large vessels mounted on horse-drawn carriages for his garden. Instead of flower shops, people relied on farmers like his grandfather, especially from September to December during the peak of religious festivities. Flowers from the family garden were sold as far away as Monterey, as well as to local residents who stopped on their way to the cemetery. Calderon remembers watching the river flow, which for him means a deep-rooted link with history, the memories having instilled a sense of pride in him and formed his identity of being from a border town. Roderick Taylor values the memory of walking with his grandmother as a child down the street and lounging on the rocks by the river. The simple act of walking along the river and watching it flow has become obsolete now. The river was not a boundary, but an integral part of daily experience not too long ago. The Rio Grande has always unified lives on opposite banks in Laredo. In contrast, in El Paso, the river is so dry that the view from one side of the fence does not trigger similar robust bonds. While the presence of the river for the inhabitants has been tranquil, the federal government has made numerous attempts to control the land adjacent to the river to monitor illegal border crossers. Complaining that high-rising cane shielded trespassers, the border patrol has mowed it down several times. 
1990, the Border Patrol cleared brush along the Rio Grande near downtown. The Texas National Guard aided the Border Patrol with logistical support in the form of electronics and equipment, as well as labor while abstaining from direct immigration enforcement functions. Controlling the border by slashing the cane on the banks became a recurrent action and a point of contention between the Border Patrol and residents. Rio Grande International Study Center had to initiate a lawsuit against the Border Patrol to stop it from spraying pesticides and weed killers from the air to clean up the riverbank as far as 16 miles into the interior of the city. The federal government wastes a lot of money by harming the fish upstream and then trying to replenish the river downstream in repetitive cycles. The story of the Rio Grande from an ecological perspective captures the incongruities between political and natural boundaries. Theodore Valenti, a biologist from Laredo, recounts his canoe trip with a colleague in 2010. They started out looking for mussels in the river along with the goal of comparing the amount of harmful cane on the U.S. versus the Mexican side. Based on visual observation, they concluded that on the U.S. side, from Eagle Pass to Laredo, somewhere between 90 to 95 percent of the banks were invaded by the cane, while it was only 2 to 5 percent on the Mexican side. The management of land on the two river banks was drastically different. The Mexicans led their animals cows, sheep, goats, and horses all the way down to the river, which has controlled the cane. On the U.S. side, mainly because of cattle tick fever, ranchers have kept animals away from the river, so there's nothing to stop the growth of cane. On that trip, they always slept on the Mexican side as the U.S. side was inaccessible because of overgrown cane. This is how Valenti explains the Border Patrol's combat against the cane in early 2000 which was driven by brute power and lacked expert knowledge or proper planning. Cane reproduces by way of rhizomes, which lie underground and therefore cannot be terminated with mowing. The Border Patrol continuously mowed above ground, leaving the nodes alone so that new shoots came up within a few weeks. To stop the cane from growing, there needs to be a restoration process with native vegetation. Otherwise, the energy remains below the ground in the rhizomes and starts new life. Using heavy equipment, the Border Patrol dug the rhizomes out of half the land at the bend of the river and dumped it in the landfill. They mowed the other half of the land, used herbicides to control the growth of cane, and planted a pallet of native vegetation in a particular spaced-out pattern. The plants needed a lot of water, but without the water rights from the river, they had to use very expensive city water for the drip irrigation system. The flood of 2010 washed away all the plants, the irrigation system, even the topsoil. All that remained were big mats of rhizomes in a portion of the control area. The contractor who was responsible for planting and revegetating could not meet the standards for the percentage of surviving plants. By this time, the Border Patrol did not have money for additional irrigation. The result is that the area, that area is now densely overgrown with all kinds of trees and shrubs that are much more difficult to control than cane. Valenti summarizes his perception of the Border Patrol with the punchline, not very bright. 
Dr. Manez Momin read an excerpt from her book, Listening to Laredo, A Border City in a Globalized Age. She shared an excerpt from one of the interviews of the 75 that she conducted to, I'm going to say humanize Laredo, humanize the border, humanize our gente. That's a powerful interview because it's nonfiction, but there's so many metaphors, especially, I mean, I love the punchline. But, yeah, you know, but, but here you have this federal agency 
from the community perspective, doing everything wrong. I, I think your instinct was right. For us to explain it is one thing, but for people to just see it with their own eyes. Uh, were there many, many moments like that? What, what were you thinking when this moment fell on your lap? <laughs> I mean, a lot of the interviews were hilarious and, you know, what a waste of money, right? And I was writing it when the uh, Trump border wall plan was in full swing. And the whole thing, I mean, in, in Laredo, now we have built this outlet mall right by the river, right? So if there is a wall, I mean, the, obviously the wall cannot be in the river, in the middle of the river, where actually the boundary is. It has to be, yeah, on the land, but it cannot be just by the river. So basically the wall would be, um, you know, like separate uh, the, the, you know, part of downtown, you know, uh, from the city. So in one sense, we are trying to build this outlet mall to bring money, right, to bring revenue. And we are actually, 70% uh, of the customers are from Mexico, right? And on the other hand, there will be a wall. <laughs> I mean, it's such a contrast. There's just no midpoint, no compromise, nothing, you know, that can happen there. It's ridiculous. And I think exactly even as we're speaking, that may have been during the Trump administration, but even now during the administration of Republican Governor Greg Abbott, he then has these floating devices. Yeah. yeah. So say, same issues that you just described. And what is happening is all of this construction, they're polluting the river and the, this river is the only source of water for Laredo and Nuevo Laredo. And that's actually a huge thing for Laredo. This is the this, this is the 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 pollution of river is much more serious than any other outside crises. And again, I think your work puts that into this fascinating juxtaposition where it it's ridiculous, in my opinion, it's ridiculous that you have federal policy, statewide policy being implemented. That makes zero sense on the ground. But but again, you capture the quotidian voices of people from the community who are watching it and sharing their thoughts. Tell us a little bit more about this uh, this person you interviewed. Tell us the, their name again and tell us a little more about well, how you... I mean, all the names him. are pseudonames. I haven't used anyone's real name. So he's a biologist. And basically, he was telling me about this experience. Okay, mm -hmm. But uh, to go back to your earlier point, yeah, I mean, it, it's not... There is a rational, but the rational is different. For instance, the focus um, of monitoring has shifted to the water, to the river, from the bridges. And the reason is most of the smuggled goods, they are actually coming through the international bridges, not by the river. Okay, But if we try to monitor that, you know, it will be a huge um, uh, cost. There's a huge cost in terms of trade delay. So we cannot allow that, right? So what we do is we actually allow most of the, we know that most of the smuggled goods are coming through the, you know, like, uh, you know, legal channels of international bridges. But instead of focusing on where it is actually coming from, we have, we are focusing on the river and kind of, focus, you know, the river is now the, like, kind of has been redefined as the illegal channel. Because what is coming to the river is very small portion of smuggled goods, but mostly it will be, you know, humans, right? I mean, it will be uh, asylum seekers. So the attention has moved towards that. But the actual attention, if we really want to do something about, you know, uh, 
uh, drug or any other kind of smuggling, then the focus should be on the international monitoring the bridges, not the river. Born and raised in the heat, the eye, the sun. If you're too weak or sweet, you'll die in the sun. Hear the drink, all the seats, and ride in the trunk. We get the green by the tree, white by the ton. We receive the most from any inland port. So the other side is dying and trying to make us home. We don't shop from the business, we hustle and strong. Winning the border wars, you saw them episodes. We saw Texas, man, home of that black gold. When millionaires are made, digging a single hole. Depending on your profession. You don't feel this recession, but your heart is tested. That's why you don't mess with Texans. In Laredo, even women are tougher than nails. They talk loud and get down, protecting themselves. Respeta mi ciudad, no te hagas el. No es un juego, pierde los dueños en Laredo. This my city, mi ciudad, LDO. You gotta work to survive, this what we know. Faith, family, and strength is how we grow. I'll put you on my back and carry LDO. This my city, mi ciudad, LDO. Gotta work to survive is what we know. Faith, family, and strength is how we grow. I put you on my back and carry LTO. I love my colors, man. This is for the raza. Con Emiliano Zapata tatuado en la espalda. I got brown pride. I'll never be a coconut. A real thoroughbred, homes and proudest. Growing up in the city, I saw blowing up. You from the north, south, east, west, throw it up. We ain't divided, we got different personalities. But that's a family, and it makes me proud of being. De la redo, orgullosamente. Te doy mi vida y el sudor de la frente. Mis lágrimas pa' toda mi gente. Es un homenaje de un humilde laredense. Mi ciudad tiene todo de lo bueno. Lo bonito, lo malo y lo chueco. Respeta mi ciudad, no te this my city, mi ciudad, LDO. You gotta work to survive, this what we know. Faith, family, and strength, this how we grow. I'll put you on my back and carry LDO. This my city, mi ciudad, LDO. You gotta work to survive, this what we know. Faith, family, and strength, this how we grow. I'll put you on my back and carry LDO. Tengo raíces de dos países donde el respeto se gana no se pide. Es la ciudad del trabajador, chueco derecho de sol a sol. Dios bendiga mi ciudad querida, que siempre progresemos es lo que yo pido. Y no olvidemos de dónde venimos. This is a shout out to all my Laredo people. From Santa Rita, cuatro vientos en Santo Niño. Three points, Azteca 7 y El Chacón. La Ladrillera, Las Lomas en Ghost Town. San José, Los Presidentes en Downtown. Catarranas, Eastwoods, Hillside. Del Mar, Plantation, Mines Road, Lakeside. Respect my town, we don't around when it goes down so hold your ground or move around when you're in l town this my city miss you die ldo you gotta work to survive this what we know faith family and strength this how we grow i'll put you on my back and carry ldo this my city miss you die ldo you gotta work to survive this what we know faith family and strength this how we grow i'll put you on my back and carry ldo this my city miss you die ldo Gotta work to survive, this what we know. Faith, family, and strength is how we grow. I'll put you on my back and carry LDO. This my city, miss you die, LDO. You gotta work to survive, this what we know. Faith, family, and strength is how we grow. I'll put you on my back and carry LDO. Right now, if 
this political climate has its way, it appears to be that certain politicians are appealing to what captures headlines, mm -hmm. what will capture the imagination more than what will actually control this the, the flow, uh, you know, of different whatever is being looked at at the time. But again, that's hard to explain. I think the stories you capture are wonderful ways then to to sort of. Uh, give this whole new view uh, of this discussion because it sounds like you you deliberated. It sounded like you said, "Hey, how do I convey what's going on here?" You chose not to lean into it directly, and I think you and I are talking about it directly here. But it, it gets it, it's not as easy to explain directly. Can you tell us a little bit about your choice to go to the primary sources instead of trying uh, to explain what's going on? My first um, uh, impetus was intellectual curiosity, but then I was like not that much uh, like uh, drawn, uh, you know, to the intellectual aspect of it. Then when I was talking to, you know, people, it actually, it dawned on me that there are much more interesting, uh, you know, stories and much more interesting paradoxes that are there, you know, that so, and uh, I'm, I'm always conscious, even though I've lived here for 20 years, but I wasn't born here. I don't have the shared memories, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I also was very concerned that I didn't want to misrepresent anything. Mm -hmm. So the best way would be you know, like instead of talking, listening. So that's what I did. So I talked to people and it is actually, I mean, I wrote it, but it is actually their story. So that's also a very important, you know, aspect of the book because most of, you know, what I have read in terms of, you know, my academic career, border is always defined from above, never from the, you know, ground. So this is one thing that I really, really wanted to change. And, I'm, and there are people from various walks of life. There are people from, uh, you know, there are people who actually uh, supported the Trump wall. So basically, I mean, I, I it was, uh, you know, kind of, uh, I started with people who knew about Laredo, but from then on, you know, like uh, I, I tried to kind of, you know, like in my interview pool, I tried to have, mm -hmm. uh, in, like have as many diverse people as possible. From my perspective on community cultural capital, you then have empowered uh, local voices, local stories. That's something Nuestra Palabra does. And I think that's something, too, that I always have an issue with, with uh, research that relies only on what I call corporate data or institutionalized data. It doesn't have those organic voices. And I think your book has a very uh, smart way to bring those together. Tell us a little bit more about the research pool. So you mentioned you you get you got many voices. Mm -hmm. How did you actually conduct that sort of outreach? You mentioned it took you several years. Tell us about that. Well, I was planning, but I mean, the book that I had planned was a different book. Okay, so when I started talking to people who knew about Laredo and who have seen the transformation of Laredo, then I was, uh, you know, I. I understood that I need to talk to more people. And then as soon as I started like the interviews, I knew that, okay, that should be the basis. Okay. So then after each, at the end of each interview, I would ask the interviewees, you know, who do you think I should talk to? You know, there were two questions that I ended the interviews with, you know, is there anything that I haven't asked you? 
and who do you think I should talk to? And it's very interesting because most of the time they actually, they pointed me to the you know right direction or the right mm-hmm. people. Most of the people they have been uh, like, uh, I wanted to make sure that I'm interviewing people who are, who have been born and grew up here and also people who came from outside and settled here because those perceptions are very, very different. But I was very lucky. I also got a lot of people which is kind of a new trend in Laredo, people left, you know, like uh, maybe for college, for job, for something, but then they decided to come back. So that was also a new perspective that this is like, I mean, they're local. I mean, they're native Laredoans, but it's actually more that they chose to come back. They made a conscious decision to return to Laredo. Mm. So it was also very interesting, you know, like what are the reasons, you know, what is going on? And uh, well, basically, it, it was kind of a like a, you know, flow. Once I started the interviews, I started getting, you know, more, you know, people. Actually, I probably would have done more interviews. But on the day of my 75th interview, there was the lockdown because of uh, COVID. Then everything became very complicated. We didn't know how long the lockdown mm. would last. And then I have to get, I had to get like new IRB permission and everything. And I thought, I have so much. Let me just stop everything and start writing. There are a few people I would have, you know, like loved to get their perspective. But on the whole, logistically, I think I did the right thing. Well, you had to listen to the universe and uh, <laughs> and comply with with the wishes of the planet. Uh, let me ask you this: Would you have gone to two hundred interviews, three hundred interviews? No, what would have? No. no, I think hundred would be the. Okay. I, I just have had some key people in mind, and uh, that that didn't happen in the course of the interviews too. So, did you use all seventy five? Or did you cut some out? And so, then do you decide on the order? How does that part? Well, I when I started looking at the interviews, um, what I did was I actually discovered some of the themes. So some people, they were talking about Laredo as this community, uh, like more focused on the past. Some people were focused on the present. Some people were focused on the, like, let's say, border wall, river, different things. But out of this focus also, I mean, as I told you, they were like kind of dispersed, various parts of stories that were just dispersed everywhere. So I kind of, you know, looked at it and there were six themes that I, I, I thought were very, very important. And one theme was border is actually a wholesome community. So it's not like a place of chaos. And the second theme was where is the border? You know, it is like it has you know, is it in the river? Is it in the wall? Is it in the checkpoint? Because uh, one of my, uh, my, you know, like another thing that comes, uh, I think, out of the interviews as well is that border can be porous in the periphery, but border cities are very strictly controlled in the center. And actually, this has to do with the private prison. This has to do with the colonial area. This has to do with that. And then there was another theme about how the local and national narratives are at odds. And I talk about the transition of Laredo, economic transition of Laredo, and how at one time there was like local affluence and 
it actually NAFTA actually destroyed that local affluence, which is not the storyline that we ever hear. And then I talk about another the public spaces as these, uh, you know, like uh, different forces are, you know, like uh, contrasting with each other. The public spaces have emerged as something very important and uh, how Laredo also has a history of claiming those spaces and what is going on you know, there. Uh, and also the last theme that I talked about is the border identity and border identity. I mean, as my interviews tell me, and this is actually from my observation also, is actually there might be overlaps, but it is different than minority identity. Minority identity in America, whatever race or ethnicity we are talking about, it's actually history of subjugation. But if you look at border identity, and especially Laredo, Laredo has never been overpowered. You know, Laredo has mm. always remained this 95% Hispanic. And even when the white settlers came in because of the tradition of intermarriages, you know, there there is a lot of class subjugation in Laredo still. You know, there is a very strong history of that, but there is almost no racial or ethnic animosity Be because intermarriages actually, uh, you know, allowed people, you know, everyone to become this kind of, you know, well, I mean, uh, Hispanic, right? Mm -hmm. So border identity also is about the comfort of growing up, never feeling uh, like oppressed. So this is different than any other minority mm -hmm. identity. And also I talk about, you know, the famous George Washington's birthday, uh, you know, celebration, which Laredo does with, you know, so much, you know, pomp and splendor. But also, again, it's, it's actually something kind of, you know, um, uh, usually explained as something bizarre, but there is a lot of meaning, you know, to it. Because in many ways, Laredo also kind of reclaimed that and mm. added their own, you know, perception about what it means to become an American, right? And they were, and m most of, you know, uh, another kind of, you know, another way of looking at the whole story of Laredo is before Laredo was in the landlight, before it was a, uh, largest inland port. There were two stories about Laredo. One was for inside consumption and one was for outside consumption. Mm. It didn't matter to Laredo people who lived in Laredo, you know, all those songs about uh, like uh, lying dead in Laredo, right? And actually the projection of Laredo in popular culture is very, very negative, right? Which is actually very different from, you know, the uh, people, you know, the kind of memories they, they cherish, okay? So both went on, both, they were kind of parallelly, but now because of the limelight, because of the attention, both are colliding.
you bring up so many fascinating subjects. One, um, I like when you're talking about where's the border. I think some people think the border of Mexico is in Montana because somehow people are mad about the border in Montana and it ain't there. And, and then the other thing is, I love what you talk about identity, especially because of what I call are these uh, corporate impositions of identity from corporate media, corporate education, corporations, um, in an area that has its organic history in two countries. One country had an informal caste system because the U.S. owned people and still had a one-drop rule and took you to court to see if you could be owned. And versus Mexico was colonized by Spain that had a very complicated caste system. I'll leave that there. How do people who live on the Mexico side of the border feel about uh, and what kind of about and what kind of relationship do they have with Laredo? Well, Laredo and uh, Nuevo Laredo were always interdependent, both economically and culturally. Actually, before NAFTA, Laredo was the functional side. People came and did business, but the cultural hotspot was Nuevo Laredo. People came to Laredo to go to Nuevo Laredo. Okay, so that has changed drastically and a lot actually has to do with NAFTA, but a lot also has to do with the drug cartels, uh, you know, kind of takeover of Nuevo Laredo. It's actually very, very sad. So that connection has been all but, you know, that connection is not there. I mean, even when I came here back in 2002, it was a very popular custom for people to just to go to Nuevo Laredo every weekend and, you know, have a good time going to the restaurants, listening to music, all of these things. But slowly, I even took my students there, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it was so easy, you know? Mm -hmm. But now it's actually something that is like, I would, I mean, I wouldn't take my students at all. I wouldn't get the permission, but I, I, I'm more careful if mm -hmm. uh, you know, visitors come, I'd still, you know, go there. But in terms of how, like where I go, what time, I mean, I think about that. Okay. For, uh, people in Nuevo Laredo and Laredo, actually, they never saw themselves as living in two different countries. They, you know, that was the Los Dos Laredos, the two Laredos, right? Mm -hmm. And there are still, there are people who owned, uh, who owns land in Nuevo Laredo because this was the functional side mm -hmm. and that was mm -hmm. the ranch, right? I mean, people would have ranch there and just go and spend time there and like do all the functional, you know, a part here. So people actually, you know, went back and forth very easily. You know, this was like they would cross the river every day. And actually, they are, uh, there is a, uh, you know, term in Laredo people, you know, where, where are you going? You know, I'm going across, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, one of our local filmmakers, his uh, movie is going to come out, I think, very soon, uh, you know, calling Across, where he described the history of, you know, this connection between Laredo and Nuevo Laredo. So this has been tarnished. A part of it has to do with Mexican, you know, the drug cartel. But another part has to do with the NAFTA, because NAFTA, what it did is it, it transformed Laredo as a trade route. So there is no need to have this interdependence with anyone else, any other city. Okay, so this this is actually a huge transformation and a huge loss that has happened to Laredo because the aspects of border city is this interconnection. Ese puerto de Laredo es un puerto muy lucido donde se encuentra la mata de los hombres decididos. 
You are listening to Nuestra Palabra, Latino Waiters Heaven to Say on 90.1 FM, KPFT Houston. And we are enjoying the discussion with Dr. Uh, Momin about her book, Listening to Laredo, A Border City in a Globalized Age. We've got one last question. This comes from our uh, producer, uh, Roxana Guzman, who actually does a lot on health and policy, mm-hmm. a lot of research on that. Uh, hers, her question is, uh, can you describe any of the striking health and social conditions in Laredo? Well, if you look at the poverty level, even though Laredo has grown so much, but the Webb County poverty statistics actually still has one third of Laredo population below the poverty line. So that's the question. If so much, if Laredo has grown so much and so much money is flowing through the international bridges, why is it not, you know, like helping a a lot more people in Laredo? But in terms of, uh, you know, health, Again, um, you know, health statistics are like any other region where you'll see, uh, you know, the poverty level being high. So the health problems are there. Right. But uh, another very important part, when we talk about the interdependence, we often like or, or the focus of about border cities is people from Mexico, how they come to Laredo and maybe take advantage of a lot of, you know, like a. Uh, infrastructure, right? I mean, social education infrastructure. But if you look at Laredo, a lot of people actually go to Louisville, Laredo to get medical treatment, even people who have medical insurance because, you know, it's so high. So that interdependence actually runs, you know, both ways. But a lot of time that dependence or, you know, that part is not focused. Thank you so much, Dr. Momin. Really fascinating discussion. We've just sort of piqued people's interest. I think they can get a lot more by uh, getting the book, listening to Laredo, A Border City in a Globalized Age, or taking your classes. <laughs> and well, we- <laughs> can I add something? Please. I would, I would like to invite the viewers and listeners to the Laredo Center for Arts on September 12th, 7 p.m. I have my reading. And if you cannot make it to Laredo, how about Austin? September 17, 4 p.m. I'll be in conversation with uh, Choitali Shen there. And even if you can't go to Austin, then how about drop by on San Antonio at the Twig Bookshop, uh, September 23rd, uh, 11 to you know 1 p.m. That's fantastic. I hope folks will take you up on that. Of course, if you want to get that information again, you can listen to the podcast. Thank you so much. We hope that folks will continue the dialogue. You know, wish you continued success. Speaking of community cultural capital, I do want to thank our team. Rodrigo Bravo is our sound engineer across several platforms. Roxana Guzman is our multi-platform producer. I also want to thank the team on the ground, including Leana Lopez, who's our coordinator. Also Mark Anthony Pignon, who works on our graphics. And the other team members like Lupe Mendez, Brian Paras, Laura Costa. And then, of course, all of our supporters. Hey, my name is Tony Diaz. Appreciate you tuning in. And please, if you can, make a donation to KPFT, your community station, by visiting kpft.org or calling 713-526-5738. You can get more information about Nuestra Palabra by visiting nuestrapalabra.org. Thank you so much. We look forward to seeing all of you behind the book. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. 
Dice basta ya, que cuando hablas de hambre Dice basta ya, porque nada de eso te puede elevar 